coming up on today's show. Joe hates gamers. Why David Cully is 10 times the coach Joe will ever be. And I may or may not be on the hook for a street vasectomy. We'll explain later. All of that and much, much more coming up on another award-winning Pro Bowl week version of the Tomahawk Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Tomahawk Show. We are gearing up for Pro Bowl week, which actually may be more exciting than we've seen it over the last 15 years because it's being played through video games. Uh, I am your host, Andrew Hawkins, joined by a perennial Pro Bowler. Uh, Fat Nat is in the building. Also, Joe mm. Thomas is here. Ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Hey. Joe, Joe sure, what's up, sure. man? What's going on, man? It was, it was making me laugh when you said that about the Pro Bowl because uh, only somebody that has not left their garage in the last 11 months could get excited about watching grown men playing video games. So uh, congratulations. I'm sure that alienates half of the Tama flock, but uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. Cause I have not, my, my kids aren't old enough yet for me to get into the video game train. Although I loved video games when I was a kid, but I'm kind of looking forward to buying that first video game console system when they turn, you know, eight or nine and uh, like starting to get down in the basement and getting in the weeds, like seven, eight straight hours of playing Madden football or one of those video games, whatever they're playing these days. Kind of sounds like a, a nice afternoon. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, there'll probably be teleportation systems by the time your kids are old enough <laughs> to buy video game consoles. Uh, listen, again, welcome to the Tomahawk Show. Hit us up on social media, at Tomahawk Show, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, make sure you like, like and subscribe to the podcast. I mean, we're on a little bit of a roll here. I don't want to brag as a mm. podcast host, but, mm. you know, we're back again like we never left, Joe. Um, a lot of stuff to talk about today. So... Well, first off, how was your week? Give me, give, let's let's do some family stuff since, you know, we're all in a, a pandemic still, and yeah, I don't know, life is just crazy every week, man. What what's going on with you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, for me, my life is so boring, and I think everybody has that own perspective that you know, oh, my, my own life is boring. And then when I tell people, they're like, wow, that's interesting. So I spent uh, the last two days out on the farm. Um, we're doing no, uh, a timber harvest. It already sounds boring, but continue. Yeah, and uh, I spent like four or five hours a day going out and like marking trees for the logger to come in and cut down. Um, so I got incredible workout, like trudging through knee-deep snow, like up and down the mountains of Wisconsin, <laughs> fighting the wild animals and the wild beasts. Uh, so that was that was great. Got my uh, nature exercise and feel better because of it i'm guessing that both you and nat had uh, similar experiences this week so I, I'm, yeah. i'd love to hear oh I, I should also mention we had a interesting first so my kids go to private school in wisconsin but the public school that they used to go to before the pandemic hit is all virtual right now and uh, we got a big snowstorm on tuesday and i thought it was pretty funny that even though the kids are doing virtual school, there was a virtual snow day, and so they had school canceled on Tuesday, <laughs> which I, I thought was kind of funny since uh, apparently when it snows out, your Wi-Fi doesn't work either. Um, so that was the highlights of my week. What, what about you guys? Well, don't the teachers still have to go into the school or no? I, I don't know, and maybe they do, so maybe that was the thinking. Um, <laughs> that didn't I, funny, I just though. thought it was kind of funny. I was like, wait, aren't they virtual? Like their computers <laughs> don't work when it snows outside? Hey, man, we're trying to keep normalcy for everybody. No, that's yeah, good. Yeah. 
you cutting down trees five hours a day, man. I'm, I'm not even kidding. We talk about this all the time, but we live such different lives. Just a little bit. It's not even funny. Like a hard day's work for me is like, yo, I was in front of my computer sending emails from 6 a.m. <laughs> Banging on my keyboard. I didn't. I didn't get a chance to go work out because I had mm. so many damn emails to catch up on. That is. That is what my day consists of: sending if, emails, building like PDF pitch decks, yeah. um, writing out strategies for hours a day for multiple companies. That's what my day is, which is a complete. We are a walking TV show. I swear yeah. to God. So you were doing things that actually might make you money down the line. I was doing things that completely <laughs> waste time and calories. But that was kind of the point. Like, it totally took my mind off of normal life for about four or five hours a day because uh, your focus is very small and there's nobody else around. There's not even any people that you can hear. You're not hearing car noises or anything like that. Right. Um, and uh, it's fun. It's it's like a nice, relaxing getaway. But I was definitely tired because I went to bed at about... 8.45 both nights because I was just gassed. I, I, I walked uh, the first day six and a half miles and the second day 7.3 miles because I tracked it on my phone. But um, I, I'm curious, if I gave you a chainsaw hawk and there was like a, uh, you know, Abe Lincoln-sized tree outside in a little, or George Washington apple tree <laughs> or whatever the tree was that he supposedly cut down. Do you think you could cut it down if I gave you a chainsaw without killing yourself? Without killing myself. Or without would, significantly maiming yourself. I was going to say, can I lose a limb? But no. <laughs> You're allowed to lose one limb, <laughs> but you right. can't die, but not two, not two limbs. <laughs> All right. Um, no, I could, I could cut it down. My, my father was a, is a, a carpenter. Oh, so, so you're, yeah, you'd, you'd be all I get it. I get my work ethic from my father. Father, I would have to go you know, work with him. It's just also the reason why. I went to corporate life as well. <laughs> you were like, ain't no way I'm doing that for a living. Yeah, yeah. That is way too hard. If I can avoid it, I'm cool. If I, I, yeah. I can survive. I can, I can cut the tree down. Um, that's funny. All right. Well, let's get into some football talk here, man. I mean, the biggest story, you know, it's always weird this middle week between the Super Bowl and the, and the, and the championship so is. weekend because it's like it's almost like a little preview of the offseason and like, oh, there's really no football and people don't care. And this year's especially weird because we're not gearing up to travel to Tampa Bay for the Super Bowl. This is my first time not being in the Super Bowl city since 2008 season. Yeah, I think this is my first time since 2006. It is bizarre. And I think it's especially weird because usually this is the week where both teams are practicing and they're getting ready to travel. And so there's all sorts of media attention and all the focus is on the Super Bowl. And then you also have the Pro Bowl. So you've got the best players in the NFL in one spot and all the media is at the Pro Bowl asking him questions, reflecting on the season, looking forward. So there's a lot of things that are coming out straight from the players and the coaches' mouths and you see a lot of content being created at Pro Bowl practices. Now, not super competitive, but there's all sorts of stuff usually going on and because we didn't have that this week, right. there was a little bit of Super Bowl talk, but since the media is largely kind of banned from facilities, we're not getting... Uh, a lot of videos from the Chiefs and the Buccaneers practices. We're not getting a lot of content from those beat reporters. There's really not been a lot of Super Bowl chatter. And so the focus has kind of turned to sort of the NFL drama, right? Which is actually kind of interesting to me. And I think it's it's a little bit sooner than it usually does, in my opinion. But there's a lot of head coaching 
decisions to talk about. There's going to be an insane amount of veteran quarterbacks that are changing teams this offseason, which yeah. is going to be really exciting and something that we've probably never seen before in the NFL. And one of the great young stars in the NFL, Deshaun Watson, has demanded a trade from the Houston Texans, which has really taken up the airwaves on almost any talk show that you you've heard of. And it's really, <laughs> in my opinion, as a sort of a, you know, sports media junkie it's created a lot of really interesting back and forth banter i you know i i know i'm excited to jump into that as you're sitting here talking about you know who has to be pissed off about the pandemic well everyone's pissed off about the pandemic but i have a buddy um who runs the tampa bay sports commission that i've met through like my sports business endeavors you know but he's in charge of bringing all like the 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 huge uh events to tampa and bringing money to the city so He's done it for, you know, multiple tournaments in college ranks, pro bowl, bowl, bowl games. So I remember at the last Super Bowl, I sat with him on his podcast and he was talking about how excited they were for it to be in Tampa. And he got the, the Super Bowl. The home team is playing in the Super Bowl. And it's like the worst possible year. It's the first time it's ever happened. <laughs> first time ever. In NFL history, and you could imagine what a two-week runway would look like for them if 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 we were just normal. So I I mean, I mean, all things considered, I'm sure they're still happy um, that the Tampa Bay Bucks are there. That does help them, but at the same time, man, what a what a shitty turn of events, you know? No kidding. I mean, uh, it is bizarre because, like you mentioned, like both of us are used to going down there and doing our NFL Network shows from down there. Um, we've had a nice routine of doing Tomahawk show podcasts since we started being down there. Actually, that was really where the podcast kind of took yeah. off because we had a lot of really cool guests. You know, we had a great booking team. And then with your contacts in the uh, entertainment industry, being one of LeBron's best friends and yep. being friends with like legitimately every cool person in the NFL, we got all <laughs> the sweet people. And then me, I got like the people in the cooking industry, like Andrew Zimmern and other nerds <laughs> that nobody's ever heard of. But since both of us have been working for NFL network, they've kind of adopted us as like their long lost twins that uh, are unrelated, but they've, they've for some reason gave us a couple live shows last year where we were on radio row. We had Martha Stewart. Uh, we didn't have Snoop Dogg, but I'm just going to say Snoop Dogg. We had this incredible <laughs> list of, of guests that NFL network booked for us. And we were live on NFL network, the Tomahawk show for several days. And it was pretty cool. It was really fun. And actually that's why there was a lot of conversation and I'll leave it at that. Um, with a lot of different networks about turning us into the Good Morning America Tomahawk show. But, of course, yeah. you know, we're, we're way too busy for that. I've got uh, 100 kids and 1,000 trees to cut down. And <laughs> you've got Amazon and other major corporations to run. So uh, we're just doing Tomahawk show per grata still. <laughs> per grata. <laughs> got to keep – stick to our roots. Yeah, All right, right, so let's, let's talk some coaching carousel. Um, seven teams, I believe, hired yep. new football coaches. Um, most recently, the Houston Texans hired uh, David Cully. Is that how you pronounce it? That's right, I'm David sure. Cully. Mm -hmm. Okay, David Cully, um, which is a segue also into the Deshaun Watson conversation. Yeah. But to talk about all the coaches, give mm -hmm. give me a general feel. What what is one thing that sticks out to you about the coaches that have been hired? A lot of conversation was happening. You know, I'm going to try to start taking off my sports media hat a little bit because I feel like I'm talking too like a host, like I would on my Amazon shows or my NFL network shows. And I got to get back to my Tomahawk, yeah. you know, style. So just yeah. give me what sticks out to you. 
You're used to talking to smart people. That was the translation there. <laughs> like this, this uh, redneck from Wisconsin. Um, no, I think there was a little deviation, which was interesting to me from the typical, hey, who's the youngest, sexiest offensive coordinator that we've seen in recent memory? Who's the guy that, you know, uh, either knows Kyle Shanahan or knows Sean McVay? Because, and, and for a large part, I, I, I kind of buy into this theory that if you have a young quarterback, you want to pair him with the smartest youngest offensive mind maybe not youngest but you smart young offensive mind i was going to say austin would would not not (laughs) smartest young offensive mind who who is also a great leader of men so that that offensive mind can sort of develop and create an offense that those two can grow like a marriage together and be together for 10 or 15 years um and hopefully have a lot of success because I think there is a lot of concern as if you have sort of a CEO guy and you bring in an offensive coordinator who does a really good job with the young quarterback. Well, he's going to go get hired somewhere else in two or three years if you have success. And what you don't want for long-term success of your franchise is to have that offensive coordinator and that ha- uh, that young quarterback build a good relationship and then leave and then have to have that quarterback who's just maybe starting to blossom have to start over in a new offense or with a new offensive coordinator. And you kind of always get set back. And I think a little bit of that has happened in Baltimore because you have John Harbaugh, who, in my opinion, and by all accounts is a great coach, Super Bowl winning coach, a great CEO type coach. But because he's not from an offensive background, he's had, you know, a number of different offensive coordinators throughout his tenure. He had a guy that has been working pretty good with Lamar Jackson, uh, Greg with Greg Roman. But, you know, when things are going well, there was a lot of conversation about Greg Roman's going to leave. And then Greg Roman got maybe a little bit stale from an offensive standpoint, and they're struggling a little bit. And now it's like, well, what are they going to do with the offensive coordinator? And so I think when your head coach is also your offensive coordinator, and he's also the person that's mentoring and tutoring your your quarterback that's the best scenario but this offseason we've seen many more head coaches being hired that are more the traditional ceo role and i would say that um the only one that we've seen as sort of the offensive coordinator move to head coach is arthur smith and it was because if you remember kyle shanahan offensive coordinator atlanta falcons he gets there takes them to the Super Bowl. They have the best offense in football. He leaves. Their offense goes to crap. They try to recreate the magic by hiring guys mm-hmm. like who just Sar- got hired. Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian. He just yeah. got hired at Texas. So he was not a Kyle Shanahan offense guy, but he came in and the head coach at the for the Falcons, Dan Quinn at the time, not an offensive guy, he's a defensive guy, just said, hey, I like you, but I want you to be Kyle Shanahan. And it never works. Right. There's something that's always lost in the sauce when it's not your offense. It's not the thing that you've created and that you've babied and you understand the details. Like he may know the playbook, but he doesn't know how to coach the details. So that failed. You bring in another guy to try to be Kyle Shanahan. That didn't work. So then everybody gets fired. So now what are they going to do? They're going to bring in Arthur Smith, who was and is a Kyle Shanahan um, offshoot. And he's going to come in and be Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, part two. By all accounts, really smart guy. And we'll see if they can make it work. I think there's a lot of concern from my perspective of Matt Ryan and his contract and his demise already. And the fact that he was pretty good in Kyle Shanahan's system when he was there, but he's really not the perfect fit for Kyle's system because he doesn't have the mobility and the ability to really escape the pocket and throw well on the move compared to a lot of other guys in today's game. No, I agree with all those points. My question is, what is the criteria to be a head coach? Because, I mean, the the biggest – Stand out to me is, and you talked about these quote-unquote young offensive gurus. I mean, we see people jump from 
quarterback coach in recent years, the head coach to, you know, what have you. And a guy like Eric Bieniemy, which has now been the poster child for the non-functioning Rooney rule. Why doesn't a guy like Eric Bieniemy, who's going to his second Super Bowl, the best offense, right on line with all of the other offensive coordinators who's come up under Andy Reid? What does he do in his interview? Do you think he takes his shirt off and stands on the table of the uh, owners? Uh. Honestly, that's think- what I was going to say. How can you really it, like really interview that bad? Is it really that bad? Because like he's proven to be such a good coach. So what can you possibly do in your interview that's that crazy? Uh, you bring up a great point. Think- like, oh, he's I clearly the most qualified guy, especially by historical standards about, okay, let's hire the best offensive coordinator who's been to a bunch of different places, who within that locker room is a well-respected leader who's worked for a great head coach. Like He checks all those boxes, so he must be doing something poorly in uh, that interview because he just keeps getting passed over. And really, it wasn't even close. It wasn't like we heard he was a finalist for all these different jobs and didn't get it. It was like yeah. he was an afterthought. I always try to look on the other side. Like, what would like what would, what would the naysayers argument? And, and none of it ever holds up to me. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Because what is, then what is the point of building a resume into a business that if you can get to the height of what the position is and, and build your resume that way and still not get the opportunity, how does that not discourage you know, black coaches specifically into getting into it, right? And I mean, we can go into the Josh McCown interview, which these things are indirectly connected, which sucks for a lot of reasons. But for again, a guy like Eric Bieniemy, who I, I was told that it was, oh, he doesn't call plays. But nobody who's been hired under Andy Reid as an offensive coordinator called plays. Andy Reid didn't call plays. Andy Reid didn't call plays for Mike Hungram. Um, Doug Peterson, when he left Andy Reid, didn't call plays. Doug Peterson's offensive coordinator, Frank Reich, who got the head coaching job, he didn't call plays. Frank Reich's offensive coordinator, Nick Sirianni, he didn't call plays. So I don't get, if you're going to be a non-play calling OC, wouldn't you want to be a non-play calling OC for the best offense in history? So if that is the criteria, how is that still not a thing? It, it I want to say it baffles my mind. It doesn't baffle my mind. But at the same time, I do think it's bullshit, to be very honest. I mean, it doesn't make sense. There's really nothing that you can say. Uh, and I think you you touched on it a little bit. Like all those guys who've been hired to be head coaches who were the offensive coordinator for Andy Reid were in the same position, whether they were calling plays or they weren't. They were all in the same position. And like you mentioned, from what we understand, none of them were calling plays, including Eric Bieniemy. But they all got jobs pretty quickly. And there was no there was no excuses about, oh, they, they didn't get jobs. So. I, I really can't put my finger on it because it's been in our face so long that we've talked about it so much in the last few off seasons. I really have no words for what is going on. It yeah. just, it's incomprehensible. And I think the whole point of the Rooney rule was just to get these guys in front of the owners to give them an opportunity to impress them because that's the whole thing is like just getting your foot in the door. A lot of times gives you the ability to connect and impress a coach. And I think that's what happened with the Texans with David Culley. He was a guy that has never interviewed for a head coaching job in his entire life. He's never been a coordinator in his entire life, but he gets an opportunity to sit, stand in front of the GM, get in front of the owner. And he must've done some type of wizardry because all of a sudden the guy that, even though I do remember seeing his face at a pro bowl, when the Baltimore Ravens were our, coaching staff I don't ever remember him doing anything and that's not a slight at him but I'm pretty sure he was like a senior assistant on the Ravens staff which 
basically what that means is you're a quality control coach who's old and who's been a coach a long time. That doesn't mean like you're a genius or and it doesn't mean you're not a genius. It just doesn't mean you really have any specific role or position group that you oversee, which usually is kind of an important part of being a coach and having the qualifications to be a head coach. Like you have overseen a group of men and you've shown that you can lead them uh, historically. And also you have a really good understanding of maybe one side of the football or the other. So you can kind of lend your expertise in addition to being just a good leader of men. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point, man. And I don't want to be cynical with the hire. Again, I'm glad that another black coach got the opportunity. Literally, in years, in all the conversations we've had, we didn't hear his name not a single time as a candidate. I would be, I mean, I wouldn't say he's shocked because that's the messed up part. I feel like for a lot of black coaches, especially the older ones who have got into this, they've they've you've gone into it understanding you probably won't get a head coaching job, right? So he's been coaching probably for 40 years and that opportunity probably you know he understood he was never going to get it but i would imagine he was somewhat surprised he was like wait wait they want to interview me wait are you serious this agent calls him yeah and he's like uh i guess guess so i mean i i think we should try it right i mean it's probably a waste of time and he goes there and he gets the job like immediately i don't even remember hearing like Oh, David Colley had a great interview, and yeah. here he's going to come back. It was just like all of a sudden I woke up, and they're like, oh, and by the way, the Texans hired David Culley. And I'm thinking, I, was was he in ownership? Like he just hired himself? Or like where did this guy come <laughs> from? And I saw the picture, and I go, oh, I recognize that guy. I rode the bus with him at the Pro Bowl that one time. <laughs> but I, I don't remember seeing him on the field, so I'm not sure he was a coach. Maybe he was a scout. I, I Honestly, and I had I had to Google who he was. And again, that's not a slight. I don't know everybody. I don't know hardly any coaches. Unless, unless I played for you or know you, I, I don't know you. There's so many. Yeah, here's, a, here's a backhanded uh, slight. Maybe it's a forehanded slight. I don't even know all of the coordinators in the NFL. Yeah. That's, yeah that's he was even. not even a coordinator in the NFL. So I think that that's an important. Let, let, let's definitively say, Hawk, who was your favorite hire and why in this offseason? And then who is the worst hire and why? Wow. Favorite hire was Robert Sala. Okay. Um, big Salah fan. Last year, like I said, I talked to a bunch of people who played for Salah, and I mean, I've I've never heard more glowing reviews about a coach in, in for any coach, you know. And, and that was on both sides: coaches that have coached with them and players that have played for, with them. Like it was like a consensus: this guy is the dude, right? So that was my that was my favorite hire. My least favorite hire, I should say, the hire I'm least excited about. One we haven't talked about is Dan Campbell from the Lions. I, I'm not I, trying to put words in your mouth, but he's a guy we haven't talked about yet who is a little controversial. <laughs> and he, he, he made was. a stink at his he opening was. press conference. He was my least favorite opening press conference. Probably my least favorite hire. Here's why he's my least favorite hire. Nothing to do with Dan himself, but the bite kneecaps, take <laughs> take shots. We talked about nervous. it literally that week. We were like, if you come in talking about how tough you're going to make this team, to us, it, it sends a message of, I have no knowledge. And- yeah, I, I don't know what I'm going to do because, you know, my dad, he played a little high school football and never played college. He can come into a team if he got hired as the head coach and talk about he's going to make them work harder and they're going to be tougher. That doesn't mean anything. That means right. you just have nothing else better to talk about and you're going to waste these players' time talking about how tough they're going to be. And again, that might work because the thing about it, at first I'm like, oh, are you got to be damn kidding me. Matt Stafford comes out like, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> I'm out. But I will say I do like all the hires that he's made 
around that from you know the coordinator position coaches how he's how they fill out the front office i don't know it's interesting to me in the way they're doing it so i'm, I'm kind of keeping an eye on it Laura. i'm giving it maybe a little glimmer of hope but yeah that was probably my least um and along that that same token the reason why I felt the way it was my least favorite is because wasn't that what Matt Patricia was? Like, wasn't he the yes. tough guy that was going to build? Yes. Yes, he, he was just... the guy that was going to bring toughness. So apparently yeah. that didn't work out so well. So you doubled down on toughness. And doubled that's down. where I'm like, uh, come on, man. Jim yeah. Codwell wasn't tough enough. Now you're uh, going, you know what? Yeah, ten, 10 and 6 in playoffs, that stinks. We got to get that's rid of sick. this guy. We got to get tougher. We, we got to get tougher. We just need more toughness. We got to bite um, more kneecaps in the fourth All right, course. so you love Robert Sala. I'm going to go with, since Robert Sala was probably my favorite, um, and you already took that, I do remember talking to Kyle Shanahan last offseason when the Browns were looking for a coach, um, and he was really pushing Sala to the Browns, and he's like, dude, you guys are he literally, this is a direct quote from our conversation. You guys are idiots if you don't hire Robert Sala. <laughs> so maybe we're idiots, but it turned out pretty good with Kevin Stefanski. Absolutely. Um, but hearing Kyle Shanahan glow about his defensive coordinator, which you don't, as a head coach, you don't want your coordinators to leave because it makes your job harder. But right. I think that just shows how much respect he had for Sala and how appreciative he was of the way he managed his defense, the way he called his defense, the way he motivated his men. So I think that's a terrific hire, especially with the number of draft picks. And they're third on most salary cap space on the list this offseason. They've got an opportunity to really change that team dynamically this offseason um, with whether they decide to keep Sam Darnold and build around him or do something with Sam Darnold and pick somebody with that second pick or do some trades mm -hmm. there's a lot of options out there and there is a lot of veteran quarterbacks that are going to be out there so if i'm a jets fan i'm really excited because with this great head coach coming in bringing in a new culture and a fresh energy their salary cap space their draft choice orders uh they really have an opportunity to transform this franchise this offseason and don't be surprised to see the new york jets in the playoffs next offseason but since you took him i'm gonna go arthur smith I'm still big on the bandwagon of the Kyle Shanahan offense. Arthur Smith has shown he understands that offense in Tennessee. By talking to my buddies in Tennessee, they say he's a great leader of men. He's a great CEO type. He's detailed in the manner that um, Kevin Stefanski is. And so I think he is a really good hire for the Falcons. I do get concerned about the Falcons' salary cap situation, their ability to kind of transform their roster, the fact that Matt Ryan is getting older, didn't play very well this season. Um how well does he still fit into that offense as he's getting older? I'm not exactly sure. So I'm not exactly sure that's going to be the transformative hire that Robert Sala is to the Jets, but I still like what they did there. Um, my least favorite hire is David Culley. I'm sorry that, well, let, let's back up for a second. What makes a good hire and a bad hire? It doesn't really mean that they're going to have success or they're not going to have success, but what it is is a estimation based on the likelihood of that coach being able to bring success with that situation or the, the likelihood that it's a failure. And when you don't have the resume, that's telling me if I was a better in Vegas, that you don't have as much experience now. But certainly I'm going to, you don't need that. that experience. I want to push you on that. Okay. Talk to me about, he doesn't have the resume. Why doesn't he have the resume? Because if, if you're a coach, mm -hmm. right, if you're going to be the head coach. You want to be a CEO. That's like a big part of it. But you also want to have an X's and O's background so that when you hire your staff, you know exactly what you're getting and you can coach your coaches to coach in the vision that you have. 
Uh-huh. If you don't have that experience with the X's and O's as a coordinator on offense or defense, you can still get lucky and hire guys that are great offensive and defensive minds and just let them do their own thing. And you can have great success doing it. Like Mike Tomlin had a lot of success. It has had a lot of success in Pittsburgh and he was never on the offensive side of the ball. He was always a defensive coordinator, but for the most part, he's always kind of let his offensive coordinator do his own thing. Now he fired his offensive coordinator this season, but it's, it's kind of been the almost the ownership approach of I'm going to hire you. I'm going to give you the reins. I'm going to give you as many resources as possible. And if you screw it up, I'll fire you. And then it's hands off at that point, which, you know, sometimes that works, but the best historical systems have been, let's look at Belichick. He was a great defensive coordinator, a Super Bowl winning defensive coordinator. He was really well known early on in his career with the Patriots as being a great defensive mind. They had great defenses. And then all of a sudden you get Tom Brady and they've had some good coordinators on offense. And I think it allowed Bray, uh, Belichick the ability to really learn all the details of all the different things that are going on on an offense. And now he's just as brilliant on offensive and defensive side of the football. And so if you don't have that experience on either side of the football, you're just hoping that you hire the right guys, but you don't know the details enough with an offense or a defense to be more certain because there's no certainty in, in sports, but more certain that you've got the right X's and O guys that you've hired and that you could maybe coach them up and detail them up um, when it needs to happen. Okay, my question. If that's your criteria for the that's resume. That's not my only criteria. I'm just saying. I know. That's like part of it. Like it's a, a holistic approach to looking at whether that you think this coach will succeed or fail. And one of those parts is your X's and O's knowledge. One of those parts is your leader of men. I think those are the two big things. Yeah. Well, he's an assistant head coach for both the Kansas City Chiefs for uh, three years, as well as assistant head coach with the Ravens. He was a pass game coordinator last year, and he played quarterback collegially. He was the first black quarterback in Vanderbilt history, actually one of the first black quarterbacks ever in the SEC. So I'm, I'm detailing that because now I'm juxtapositioning it. And he, he's off the coordinator on the, in the college level as well. But also, I'm juxtapositioning that with some of the other hires we see, and this is not a, a slight on you. This is the pushback that, you oh, know, I think I, I like the pushback. That's needs what this to be, should be. Like Pop. Dan Campbell, for example, he's a tight end, right? So if you want your coach to, if he's not going to be directly from a, an offensive coordinator position, what would you rather have, a former tight end or a former quarterback, right? Understanding what that means from your perspective of the X's and O's, and then I look at, you know, Zach Taylor, who was a quarterback coach, who comes from being quarterback coach to being head coach. And, and I think that's where the David Cully, like the reason why what I say I don't like the hire is because he's going into, you know, try to coach his way out of a burning building, right? It's a bad situation. Real, it's real, a real, bad real, situation real, real, for him, real, real. right? So it's like you, you can't, even for Eric Bietemi, I believe Eric Bietemi should have got that job in multiple jobs, offers, but at the same time, of all of them, I, w- I, w- I didn't want him to go to Houston because, I don't know, the situation around it, understanding. Yeah, you, you didn't want him to go there and fail in two years. Exactly. Because right? you but think same... he's a good coach. But I yeah, think you're, I mean... what you're, you're conflicting, uh, if that's the right word, maybe conflating, the idea that any resume is good. Like, if you look at any coach in the NFL or any former player, you're going to have an impressive resume compared to, like, most people on the street, right? Like, the, the Texans interviewed Josh McCown. Both of us, we love Josh McCown. He has no history as a NFL football coach other than being sort of like the player coach from a Mm -hmm. quarterback standpoint. But if you look at his history, he played receiver for a little while with Detroit. He's played Uh quarterback in the NFL for a gazillion different teams with a 
gazillion different uh, fran- uh, franchises, I mean, uh, offenses. And so it's not that he doesn't have any resume. It's just that he doesn't have a background sp- as specific with uh, characteristics that translate to being a head coach. Now, you mentioned that David Culley was the pass game coordinator for the Ravens. No, the Ravens haven't exactly had a dynamic and prolific passing offense that you can point to and say, you know what? That is a really cutting edge offense that I'm willing to sacrifice maybe some experience as a CEO or in the run game or in any other parts that might be important to you because that is so cutting edge. If you bring that to me, we're going to have an advantage over other teams because we're going to be something different than other teams are and it fits and it meshes with the personnel that I have because Deshaun Watson is so good at X, Y, and Z. I don't see that. He was a passing game coordinator. That's great. I've been around a lot of coaches that were uh, senior assistant to the head coach that were considered passing game coordinator or run game coordinator, and they didn't do shit except for what did they do? They helped drop the cards during the week, and they maybe gave some input when they were watching film to whoever the offensive coordinator is. But when you've been around the NFL a long time, you get promoted because by title, you get more money. So if you're the assistant head coach, that's a way for the head coach to get you more money uh, because you have a lot more experience, but he doesn't have a specific role like coordinator that he can give you to give you more duties. But I guess, again, my other pushback there would be, in theory, what is the difference between being an assistant head coach and a non-play calling offensive coordinator or pass game coordinator, if you say by title, and being an offensive coordinator who is not calling the actual plays. Like so we're I would all say they're, in there learning yeah. the offense. We're all in there doing the X's and O's. You have to know where everybody's at. You have to know this. You have to know that. But if you're not executing the plays, the play yeah. calls, then what but is the difference? It, it just me, becomes who is the bigger, the bigger best or best leader, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. Go to, ahead. To, to me, the offensive coordinator, the work is really done during the week. And then there's like a little bit of an art to how you're calling the plays during the game. But for the most part, if you ever look at those play sheets, it goes – you know, first down plays, there's maybe 10 of them, first and 10. Then there's like second and two to six. Then there's second and six to nine. Then there's second and 10 plus. Then there's third and one. There's third and two to four. Then there's third and five to seven. Then there's third and eight to 10. And then there's third and 11 plus. And there's like probably just a couple calls. And so during the week, as you put those call sheets together, when you get to game day, it's one of like just a couple things to call on game day. So it's not like, yeah, there is a little bit of an art to it, but we saw it with the Browns uh, when Alex Van Pelt took over, like a lot, like 80% of the work is kind of done during the week as far as deciding what plays are going to be good against the defenses you expect to see during that game on Sunday. But then on game day, it's picking one of just a couple plays for the most part, your openers are already kind of drawn out. And so I don't think it's as much of like a a wizardry as people think about being an offensive coordinator. It's not like you're just sitting there and calling plays off the top of your head. You're looking at your sheet. You're looking at the situation and you're calling one or two or three plays. And usually they're in order of what you think is the best. And then as the game goes on, your other assistant coaches are talking in your ear saying, hey, we may want to look at the second, third and six to nine play because the first one, they're not playing the coverages we expected when we go to trips you know, or we go to 11 personnel or whatever that is for that game. So it kind of changes as the game goes on, but it's not done by one person specifically. And I think going back to your question, if you're looking at um, what's the difference between an offensive coordinator who doesn't call the plays, who just puts together the game plan and a passing game coordinator, a passing game coordinator is not going to be involved in the run cutups. So typically when the offensive 
coaches get together and they're talking and they're breaking down goal line runs, short yardage runs, situational runs, and then your first and 10 runs and then your sub personnel runs. What they're doing is they're usually working with the offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator, and then the receivers and those skinny guys are off doing their own thing, working on passing stuff. And so I would guess without knowing for sure that David Culley probably wasn't involved intricately in the details of the run game. And so you kind of lose that side of it. Does that mean he can't have success as a head coach? No way. And that's the whole point of this. David Culley might win a Super Bowl next year, but I'm saying the likelihood is less when you check less of those boxes. That's where we fundamentally disagree. Oh. To put it, yeah, I, I just think I can't say on one hand that, you know, hey, you need to have called plays and do this to be a good head coach because I don't believe that. I the don't best, believe that either. And I, I don't, don't want think you to. So think then at that. the same time, I can't go on the other side and then say, Oh, this is why it's a bad hire because he hasn't called plays and he hasn't had that responsibility. Because I know it's – I think even the, the criteria to be a head coach is such arbitrary nonsense and bullshit that, again, Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator for the best offense, and then they people will just go grab quarterback coaches or this. And I, this is me talking about the hiring process there. And for the fundamental part that you're talking about throughout the week, I mean, the collection of plays could be done by a damn algorithm. Like – of what to play like that is I don't want to say it's not the hard part, but well, analytics is going to play a big part. I mean, you'll sure. yeah, it's it's like you could a computer could to, could be that, and an offensive coordinator who doesn't call the plays is essentially a pass game coordinator and a run game coordinator, because there that's what a pass game coordinator does. It makes the collection of the offensive plays to call. The run game coordinator gets the collection of the run plays to call, and the offensive coordinator or the play caller executes off of those plays. So. I get what you're saying, and, 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 and especially in the – if you look at it, he's been a position coach for forever. My thing is if we can hire – we don't bat an eye for position coaches that are hired at 35, 32, 40, would, whatever. If, I if would, you're hire I would a say they don't have a lot of experience, and that well, would be a, a mark against them. But well, what, what is, we're comparing is the head coaches that were hired. The seven guys were saying this is the best, this is the worst. We're not saying that any one of them can't succeed or can't fail, but I'm just saying historically looking at the guys that have had success, if you look at those characteristics, I'm trying to figure out if I'm a head coach, you know, what are those characteristics that are giving me a head coaching candidate who is most likely to succeed? Yeah. And I, I would put that more on any coach that was hired by the Texans. I would be upset with. Who do you think the two best coaches of the last decade are in the NFL? Um, Andy Reid mm -hmm. and Bill Belichick. And they both kind of have different upbringings. One was a defensive coordinator. One was yep. an offensive coordinator. But like you mentioned, and I don't know if this is absolutely true, but I think it is. Andy Reid, before he got hired as a head coach in Philly, he was not a play caller. So it didn't really no. matter there. But Bill Belichick was the play caller for the Giants. Um, and he was a head coach previously with, with the Browns, mm -hmm. but, um, they had, both of those guys have had great success and are going to be hall of fame coaches, but they had a different, let background. me change that up. So it it's doesn't Tony have to be one background. Tony Dungy he hasn't would be... coached for the last decade though. I said 10 years. So 20, I think years. two decades. if you throw right, Tony years. Dungy in there too. So Tony was on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, you're trying to look at all the potential yeah. boxes and who checks the most is going to give you the most likelihood of success. And that doesn't mean that anybody can't do it or that anybody will be great just because they have the pedigree. But if you try to look at kind of the background, I, I think that, you know, uh, the fact that he hasn't detailed a offense or a defense to the coordinator level and had that amount of pressure tells me that maybe 
potentially there's yeah. an opportunity when you're doing it where as a head coach it may be tough for him. Well, I'm just saying as a head coach, you got to hire your staff, and for yeah. him to be able to hire a staff, he doesn't know it as well potentially. If I ha- just everything else is equal, as a guy who's sat in those seats and been a coordinator on either side of the ball, I agree or disagree there. Okay, perfect. All right, next topic. Speaking of the Texans, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving way past that, Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Deshaun Watson has yes. demanded a trade from the Houston Texans, which we don't blame him at all because Bill O'Brien uh, was enabled by ownership to light a match and throw it into a house made of newspaper and gasoline. And he did that. And now he's gone. And the Houston Texans now have no salary cap space. They have no draft picks and they have very little talent left. (laughs) And they have uh, a GM that uh, got hired from new England who has never been a real GM. So maybe that it doesn't matter. It might not matter. (laughs) <laughs> but Bill Belichick has been the GM and Nick Casario in New England has been sort of the guy that works as the GM when Bill Belichick is uh, in the bathroom. Um, and then they have this uh, Reverend Easterby or something like that. I forget what his name is, who's apparently very influential in all aspects of the franchise, which by a lot of people's account uh, has been potentially uh, suspect. We'll say I, I don't really know the details per okay. se. I haven't talked to guys in that building, but the structure right. seems interesting. And like we disagreed about, I thought that the David Cully head coach hire was the worst hire in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think all those things put together and the fact that Deshaun Watson is a young player, I absolutely would not want to stay there because his chances of success, his chances of being able to get to the Super Bowl does not look so good, especially because. They told him that he was going to be a part of the head coaching and the GM hiring process, which doesn't mean he did, he gets to pick the head coach or the GM, but they agreed to allow his input to be part of the conversation. And from all accounts, it wasn't. Yeah, that's that's the tough part, right? Like, you know, because that, that is the treatment. I know it sounds maybe crazy to some fans, but that is the process when you have a, a generational talent that you are literally building your franchise around for the next decade it makes sense to get their input, right? And at least interview the guy he wants to interview. He didn't know DeAndre Hopkins was traded until the next day when DeAndre Hopkins texted him, right? That wasn't a conversation with him say, hey, we are getting rid of one of the one of your biggest reasons for success early on, and they didn't have that conversation. And then going to the head coach was like, hey, now you, you're going to have to work with whoever it is. And I, and I get that's how the, a job function works in theory, but much like with the other conversation we've had where you buy, you hire a head coach and you let him fill out his own staff based on chemistry, it's also equally as important to make sure that your quarterback is bought in. Otherwise, you get in a situation like this. There's a new dawn of athletes. You can hate it. You can love it. You can feel indifferent. But this is the reality. Deshaun Watson is looking across the land, and he's seeing Matt Stafford and watch Matt Stafford waste the majority of his years for a franchise that didn't build around him and have the right pieces in place. We're seeing Aaron Rodgers not getting the best out of Aaron Rodgers for multiple years because the defense was this, or the talent around him was X, Y, and Z. And then you're seeing Patrick Mahomes, who has Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. You're seeing uh, Tom Brady, who's 1,024 years old in the (laughs) Super Bowl, and you're looking at the weapons he has around him, and you understand how important it is to get the most of your talent 
for an organization who understands what it's like to have you in on those conversations and build around you. So I, I, I just, that's just putting myself in Deshaun Watson's shoes, man. And so I, I get where he's coming from. And I think to everything you're saying about the organization is very interesting. Like, what is your overall thoughts, right? Like, as a guy who, again, this, I feel like this is apples to apples in your career with the Browns, you didn't have that sentiment, right? Like, is it? Uh, we, we both agree that Deshaun Watson should not stay there. He should try to find a way to get out. And I, I think he will. Because if a player doesn't want to play, like, he's got enough leverage that he can find a way to get out of it. Especially with the Texans, with a new coach and a new everybody and no draft picks. Like, they could get a quarterback and some draft picks in this offseason and really change the face of the franchise. And that probably gives them the best chance moving forward rather than keeping a quarterback who has already said he doesn't want to be there. So my question to you, where do you think Deshaun Watson will land this offseason? It's going to sound wild. Ooh. Because they, why would they ever give him what was needed to get this quarterback? But I think I would – the Patriots – He's a homer. He's going back to his Patriot days. I'm just saying the Casario, the Belichick, you know, besides that connection you watch with Deshaun Watson, he kills the Patriots from day one. Belichick has gushed about, you know, the prospects of how good of a quarterback Deshaun Watson is. And it gives him that different element that he was trying to capture with Cam, probably a little late to the party. Um, Yeah, I agree with that one. You know, and it's like, oh, this is, you know, this – you get a top five quarterback again. It's going to probably take three first rounders to get him and players. And I don't think the Patriots have either one of those things, but if I'm them, I consider it because they don't draft great first rounders anyway. Like that's not what Bill Belichick does. He drafts great, like fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh rounders. Um, But it'll be interesting, you know, Nick Casario, obviously being his first time fully running the reins as the GM of the Texans, I would be nervous if I did a deal with my former team and Bill Belichick, knowing how savvy and shrewd of a negotiator Belichick is, that no matter what we agreed to, I'd always feel like I'm getting screwed <laughs> and I didn't know it until it was too late. And being that this would be your first like blockbuster thing and you'd be known forever as the guy that traded Deshaun Watson, who's very much beloved in Houston. And if he goes on and wins Super Bowls in New England and you kind of fail, that just makes you look so bad. So there's got to be a lot of caution, especially doing deals with your former team who just had Bill Bell, uh, Bill O'Brien as the head coach. And Bill O'Brien, uh, being a former Patriots guy, didn't yep. really do so well with the Patriots way in Houston. And I think Houston fans are going to be a little bit concerned with maybe going down that Patriots route again since they've already done it with the Reverend and with the, uh, the general manager. But I wrote a little article on the uh, NFL.com talking about I think that Deshaun Watson's going to go to the San Francisco 49ers because you write articles. Well, sort of, I've got a ghostwriter. I just dictate okay. and then they Nat, you know, make Nat wrote nice. the article. Yeah. Matt wrote the articles. Um, <laughs> so I think he'll end up with the San Francisco 49ers because the San Francisco 49ers have a very nice team as that will tell us. They've got a tremendous head coach in Kyle Shanahan, which Deshaun Watson certainly respects as a head coach, as a leader of men, but also as an X's and O's person, which apparently if you're Hawkins, you don't need either one of those two. Um, But also, they've got this guy named Jimmy Garoppolo, who everybody in New England remembers so fondly that they love. And since San Francisco doesn't have a ton of draft picks, but they've got Garoppolo, what they could do is send Garoppolo in a first-round pick to Houston. 
Houston could send Deshaun Watson to the 49ers. The 49ers would be better off. The Texans would get their quarterback that they love because every Patriots person, including yourself, loved Patriots people more than they should. It's why when Eric Mangini came to Cleveland, he tried to bring everybody that he worked with with the Jets and with the Patriots because the Patriots know that the only people that are good at football are people that have worked or somehow had some connection to the Patriots throughout their career. Um, And so I just think... This is a win-win trade for both organizations. Deshaun Watson's ability to throw outside the pocket just fits so beautifully with Kyle right, Shanahan. Man. Wouldn't you love to see Kyle Shanahan's mind and his offense with the talent of Deshaun Watson, his ability to throw the ball down the field, to get outside the pocket, to be able to incorporate his running game, the way they stretch the field sideline to sideline with the receiver around uh, running plays? I mean, it would just be pure joy. That would be pure joy. I will say, you said Jimmy Garoppolo in a first? Yes. Yeah, there is no way that the 49ers can get that done for Jimmy G in a first. It's going to take at least two first-rounders, in my mind, without doing, obviously, any of the analytic work that I have no idea how to do, but two first-rounders, Jimmy, and probably a second or third. It, it's like, you got to think of this as like the blockbuster draft day trades. Like, this is what that constitutes. Like, you have to literally bet the farm to try to get Deshaun Watson. Otherwise, the Texans would be dumb. So I think the reason you're wrong is, one, the Texans are in a precarious salary cap situation. They're like nearly $20 million over the cap. Um, now, obviously, so that means they're going to have to make a bunch of moves. <clears throat> um, the projected cap, I think right now, is like $180 million or something like that. Uh, and they're way over. So they've got some work to do. Teams know that. And so that means the leverage is in favor of the people that are going to be trading for Deshaun Watson. Additionally, the Houston Texans don't have a lot of draft picks. What? And they're going to be sort of desperate to get back draft picks from other teams because they're in a rebuilding mode. And finally, there is more free agent quarterbacks right now or potential veteran quarterbacks that are going to be available than we've ever seen in the history of the NFL by far. I mean, just think about the names that potentially could be out there, starting with the guy who's going to be named MVP this offseason, and that's Aaron Rodgers. He said right after the season, even my future is in doubt a little bit. They drafted Jordan Love in the first round last year, so there's potential that Aaron Rodgers could be traded for him because you guys are genius economics majors from your Ivy League institutions. You understand supply and demand right now, There is an oversupply of veteran quarterbacks that are going to be available. That means the price is going to be lower than usual. And and couple that with the fact that teams know that the Houston Texans have to get rid of Deshaun Watson. They don't have the luxury of keeping him. They can't play hardball and say, that's not a very good offer. That's not the best offer. We're just going to hold on to him because he said he's not going to play for him. And I think he's really serious about it because when you look at the situation they're in, they're in dire straits. They don't have a lot of talent. They come. They just came off of a bad season. You like the new head coach. I'm not as big of a fan. I don't think it was the best hire. I have I have a little a bit of not breaking news, but it was 10 minutes ago Ian Rappaport tweeted, and I just got shout-out to Bleacher Report, got my notification. And Ooh. David David Coley I mean, said <laughs> David Coley said the reason I'm in this position today is because I know he's going to be a Houston Texan on wow. Deshaun Watson. So take mm. take that for what you will, yeah. but <laughs> I like that pick even more. He sounds like a confident SOP, yeah. doesn't he, Joe? I, I mean, if anybody sits in that position and doesn't say, Yeah, well, we want to keep Deshaun Watson, they they're 
eliminated immediately and they're <laughs> off the list of have any chance for any success. Uh, so I'm not surprised that's what he said. But also, I think you got to remember when you're hearing things from Houston at this point, they're trying to build some leverage by saying, no, 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 no. We actually think we could keep Deshaun Watson if things go well. We've got this coach that Andrew Hawkins has endorsed. He's one of the best hires this <laughs> offseason, and he gets along great with Deshaun Watson. So we're not going to take Jimmy G in the first round pick from the 49ers. We're just going to hold on to him. So they're trying to build leverage, but I think most NFL GMs that have some savviness are going to be able to see through it. You are so wrong that it makes my, my skin crawl. There's no way in hell that Jimmy G in a first rounder gets it done. If if that happened in Houston, oh my gosh, you think the headlines are bad now? I think at a minimum, it would have to be at the very least, you're getting two first round picks. Think of all the other players. Jimmy G came over for, for a second round pick. So... You can't say Jimmy G's trade value is higher now than it was then. I think it is because he's taken his what? Super Bowl. At the time he got traded for, he what had like four starts. He was like under undefeated as a starter. Yeah, he was like 4-0 with the Patriots, who were a really good team at the time. So he was so much more of an unproven commodity. He was almost like a draft pick. It was almost basically like you're getting a college player that has almost proven nothing. You, all you've seen him is the senior bowl and, and is, you know, a capital right. one bowl experience against the Wisconsin Badgers. The Badgers probably <laughs> won that because we were the kings of the capital one bowl. Let me tell you, I got like three capital one bowl rings, buckaroo. I know Toledo <laughs> never went anywhere, but the Motor City Music Bowl or whatever they got in Detroit there playing for the tires. Capital one.com bowl, you <laughs> amateur. <laughs> you've never done anything. All right. Well, let me, let me ask you this question. So all we right. disagree. Well, look, real quick, we'll disagree. Right. And I will also say if, if Jimmy G and a first round pick happened for Deshaun Watson, I will live stream getting a street vasectomy for the entire <laughs> world. That's how confident I am. That that, heard there's no way in hell that that's going to happen. Andrew Hawkins is not having any more babies as of yeah. uh, one week you, from and now. You will see it live from a random I find on the street in downtown LA. I will pay him $1,000 to give me a street vasectomy live. <laughs> You're going to pay. I'm going to pay for it. That's how right, I'll pay I for am. it. I'll There's cover no it. Way. I'll cover it and I'll buy Nat a new coffee machine because I'm sure her coffee machine from last year is probably already worn out. <laughs> now I want this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so David Colley, after what you heard, he said, uh, you know, we want Deshaun Watson here. Okay. We get it. That's sort of a rhetorical statement. Uh, no shit, Sherlock. If you're Deshaun Watson and uh -huh. now David Colley has been hired and he mm -hmm. says, you're not going anywhere. What are you thinking about it? I'm thinking, let me call Josh McCown. Because I, I have a hard time believing, and this could be, you know, Deshaun Watson's camp can hear this this podcast and be like, Deshaun Watson hates Deshaun, Josh McCown with a passion. But <laughs> the chances that happen are so low. Here's the thing that, like, screwed me up about the Josh McCown news of him interviewing for a head coach. And yep. it was like an effed up situation. Because I was like, but he's sudden, never been a coach. He doesn't have a resume. But then Hawk told me it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And it's, it's messed up because if you said, Hawk, yo, is there one player you've ever been around that could go from being a player to a head coach? And I'd say Josh. the one person I'd say it would be would, would, would be Josh McCown. Yeah. Right. Even more. I would say even more than like Tom Brady or Peyton. Manning yes, exactly. Because he has been the backup quarterback, which is essentially a coaching role for so long. Yes. When you're the guy. Those other guys are helping you. And, yeah, you're coaching a little bit on the side, but your primary position and reason for being on the franchise is not coaching. It's exactly. going out and winning Super Bowls. Josh McCown's primary reason the last decade of his career was being the backup quarterback, coaching, and if he had to come in, 
doing a good job as a serviceable backup with experience that could not, you know, get the whole team to jump off sides and throw a ton of interceptions. Exactly. And, and play through that, a torn butt. There hasn't been – I've never seen a more relatable player on any team. It's great. Like I've ever been a part of. Like I'm talking about it doesn't matter where – you're, you're, where you're from, your socioeconomic background, your your race, your – I mean, you name it. Josh McCown, everybody <laughs> loves Josh McCown. Like, he, that's one of his boys, like his family. Like, everyone views him that way. He's such an anomaly in that world because, you know, we all come from different worlds. You know what I'm saying? And I think me and you, we are very different, but we're more alike than people realize, right? And, and Josh McCown is – is unfortunately – and Josh McCown is one of those guys that, man, it does not matter anywhere you put him. He, he belongs. And I think teams see that and players see that. So I do think he's going to be a great head coach. It sucks because all of a sudden our boy becomes the face of, of, of white privilege <laughs> in, this, in this debate. And I'm, I'm sitting here like I'm pushing because it's, it's bullshit that more black coaches don't get the opportunity. But then I'm like, no, but Josh McCown is going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah but that white guy, like, he'll, he'll do a great job. Both, he's the exception <laughs> to the rule. It's, it's, it's messed up because both things can be true. You know what I'm yeah, saying? So. I think to your beginning question about Deshaun Watson, I can't help but feel like he loves Josh McCown because how do you not love the dude? This is a guy with no ego, wants to see everybody else succeed, everybody else win. And I think if they're Texans, if you seen him uh, worthy enough for a head coaching interview, and I should say I, I, I don't think they're the only team that wanted to interview for head coaches. Um, haven't talked to Josh, but I heard rumblings from other people and other teams that he was also on their on their list as well, but I can't help but feel like they're not going to say, "Hey, Josh, we got to make you a part of this coaching staff, no matter what." And you know, hey, maybe he acts as a bridge to to Deshaun Watson and and say, "Hey, here's what we're going to do here. I I I've been a, your backup for X amount of games in this weeks, and I understand what your frustrations are, and I understand what you're going through, and I I agree. And here's how we're going to help put that in the right the right uh put that in the right path. Now I don't know if that's enough to get it done for Deshaun Watson right at this stage, but that's their best hope. And if not, yep. go get your five first round picks that you'll get, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, here, here's the problem. And here's what you're overlooking. The fact that the Texans stink right now and they're way over the salary cap. So it's not like they can go out and get a bunch of free agents and get better. Uh, and on top of that, they don't have a lot of draft picks because Bill O'Brien gave most of them away <laughs> to try to win now. And now he's gone. Um, and so just because the head coach now likes him and wants him to be there, even if David Culley turns out to be a great head coach and a genius uh, offensively or defensively, or he just hires incredibly talented coordinators, the talent's not there and it's not going to be there for a little while. They're in the middle of a three to four year rebuild, kind of like when we were in Cleveland, the, uh, the 0-16, 1-15 year. Now, obviously, Deshaun Watson being there is going to prevent them from being really bad. But he's also got to say, what what's my purpose in the NFL? What's my goal? If it's to win championships and that's my biggest priority, I can't think that he's going to just want to stay there because, hey, I like the head coach and he said he wants me. Like At some point, he's still got to look out there and go, wait, I have the ability to go to, let's say, San Francisco. Let's say the Bears. like Maybe even the Jets, who have they're, they're a crappy team. But They've got another head coach that he might really get along with and he might really like. And they actually have draft picks and salary cap space to be able to put a team around him. So I think just because the Texans like him doesn't change the fact that the Texans are stinking and they're going to stink for at least three years because they just don't have the resources right now. The cupboards are bare and uh, they don't have any money to go buy more groceries.
All right, we're we're in we're in agreement there. All right, All right. So Deshaun Watson is going to so, the Jets. Yeah, he's going he's going he's going to the San Francisco 49ers, and it won't be for four first round picks. <laughs> it's going to be for one and uh, Andrew vasectomy. All right, let's make um, this bet. Let's make a bet right now. What Deshaun Watson does not go for less than two first rounders plus other picks or players. Yeah, yeah. so bet. so he, here's the over here's the line, right? The line is two first rounders. So more than two first rounders, you win, I get the vasectomy. Okay. Less than two first rounders, I win, you get the street vasectomy and you pay for it. Okay. And Matt gets a new coffee, uh, coffee machine. All right. On your dime. You heard right. it here. Done. Deal. Yes. So yeah. I think the more importantly now the, the talk right now is surrounding Deshaun Watson and you know, we're going to have a huge Houston Texans following after doing 90 minutes <laughs> on the Houston Texans today. But I think it's important to talk about J.J. Watt, right? He's been the face of the franchise. Um, even once Deshaun Watson got there, it was really sort of Houston, J.J. Watt, those two names, those th- those two people, uh, the franchise and J.J. Watt really went wow. together. Slap and so, the face to Andre Johnson. But go ahead. Receivers get no love when it comes to Joe Thomas. Hey, I don't think anybody's going to question that J.J. Watt has been – more influential to the Houston Texans franchise <laughs> and to Houston as a community than Andre Johnson. I love Andre Johnson, but um, hey, okay, I'm with you. Anyways, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right, all right. No, I mean, Andre's great, but anyway. So JJ Watt's got one year left on his deal. He's making, I think, 16 million a year. Should he also ask to get out? No. What are you crazy? So he wants to stay. But, I mean, he's not going to probably be public about it because he's Mr. Houston, right? He doesn't want to be seen as the guy that wants to get out of Houston. But secretly, backdoor, back alley, agent, media, like, should he play that game to try to find a way to save face in Houston, still still be, you know, hey, I'm Mr. Texan for life, but find a way to play his last few years in the NFL somewhere else? Do you think, and this is a question, this isn't like, a backhanded, I'm honestly asking, you're the lineman guru of the click. Do you think J.J. Watt is worth $16 million a year at this point? I haven't watched. So, I, I, I mean, I haven't watched, like, the line play yeah, yes. at Texan. Yes, okay. right now, because if you've seen the way salaries have escalated. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with the reduction in the salary cap this season, but, like, they're talking this offseason, um, Larry Ogunjobi, the, you know, the Browns, good defensive tackle. They're saying yep. he's going to make 10 million a year on his new deal. So I'm saying, all right, Larry's a good player. He's younger. Yeah. That factors into it, but JJ Watt's still a more productive player right now at this point in his career than Larry Ogunjobi. Now JJ Watt's not the same JJ Watt that he was a few years ago because of age and injury. We yep. understand that, but I mean, he was still a, a big influence on that uh, Houston Texans defense. I think he only had like five sacks, but he's still making his impact impact known and I think what happens is as you get older as a defensive lineman it's hard to keep your salary high because you get paid for impact plays sacks tackles for lost and those things take extreme athleticism and the difference between getting a sack and maybe hitting a quarterback as he's throwing the football is a couple years and a half a step and when you lose that now you're not that impact player anymore and so you can't justify that 20 plus million your contract, but you can still be a big influential player that makes 10 or 15 million or 16 in JJ Watts case. So I don't think his salary needs to be adjusted, but I don't think there's going to be a huge trade market for him because he is old. His production has declined um, and he is in the last year of his deal. So you'd have to find a way to maybe do uh, uh, an extension if you did trade for him or 
you'd just have to be willing to to realize it's just maybe a one-year rental. Yeah, and like, I mean, injury concerns. Like, that's my biggest thing when you're paying that amount of prices. Like, you want people that are available for 16. And I, and I mean, I I know like JJ Watt is one of the the best D linemen, honestly, in in history. But you know, it's a real thing when you get old. Like, you, the injuries don't stop coming. He's had like, he's had nine sacks over the last two seasons, and now he missed a bunch because of injury. He played right. all sixteen this year, but still, that's not the production that we're used to seeing from JJ Watt. When exactly. early on in his career, he was getting you know fifteen to twenty sacks almost every year, and he was three time defensive player of the, of the year. Yeah, so I, I mean, if, if 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 Deshaun Watson leaves, it would it would be in the best interest of the Texans to try to get something for for JJ yeah. and the best interest of JJ, right? Because yeah. it's like, yo, don't don't waste his 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 golden years um, when we're in the rebuilding phase. Send him to Pittsburgh, you know, let him play with his brother the last couple of years and be a really cool, feel good story. That would be um, cool, even you though know? I, you know we're hey. not supposed to like the Steelers. I, I think that would be cool. Well, like I said, I don't think. I, I feel mean, like I can I would love for, for him to hit the Steelers. Bit. They're, they're I, badgers, I would, so. I would love for him to kill the Steelers' salary cap that way. And, and <laughs> <That's> exactly. <laughs> the, it's already killed. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're going to make Big Ben play for used footballs this next season because <laughs> they can't pay him. Um, pay him all right. $77 million. All right, what we got next? Well, I think to, to continue the J.J. Watt talk, uh, the Browns have been one of those teams that have been rumored as a potential landing spot for J.J. Watt, especially because defensive line is one of those okay. spots where the Browns could use a little bit of depth or could add a veteran pass rusher, especially from the inside, especially depending on what happens with Larry Ogunjobi. So do you think the Browns should trade for J.J. Watt? No. I, I mean, I, I, I can I, tell I, you thought deeply about this. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so, man. I don't. I don't know. I, I if I'm a team like the Browns and I'm I'm building and my my biggest concern is how long are you going to be available? I need you down the stretch, especially for the Browns. The, the the goalposts have moved, right? We're no longer just trying to get in the playoffs. We're in there. We got playoff wins under our belt, son. Now we need to, we need you deep. So I mean, if maybe they have maybe if he can get on the Joe Thomas practice plan, you know, maybe that ensures we get him down the stretch, but. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't know for that kind of cap hit. Um, understanding we got a potential defensive player in the year on the other side, I know it makes the line stronger, and you know we'll definitely get more attention in the Browns that we've had in a very long time. You know, but at the same time, I just don't. I don't see yeah. the the, the long term value of it. Yeah. So just for reference, I think the Browns have somewhere in the nature of twenty million in cap space this year. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the off season with signing your draft picks and cutting guys and re restructuring contracts. Um, but it's reasonable. You could do it. I, I think if you could get JJ for a mid round pick, you know, four or five, somewhere in there. Um, I don't think the Texans would give him up for that, but if you could get him for somewhere in that three, four or five range, I think it would make sense for the Browns um, because he still is an impact player, especially from the interior. And I think he could be um, a great leader in that locker room and not that they need, leadership per se but yeah. he's a, a good guy to add to to any team i would say so um if you could do it for a reasonable but i, I would certainly wouldn't be giving up first or second round pick for a guy of his age who um has only one year left on his contract so um aaron Rodgers made a lot of news this yeah. uh, last couple of weeks do you think aaron Rodgers will be a green bay packer next yeah season? i think he will man there's so much that goes into it that is just job functioning right like you talk about nick casario and again as the official podcast of the Houston Texans now um I'm going to give him another reference but you know his first year on the job is he going to be responsible for trading off Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt right that has Tough. 
that's a big, that's a big, that's a big risk. And if you look that's at a tough the, Wikipedia page to have, it's a, exactly <laughs> known exactly. as the GM who traded Deshaun Watson and JJ <laughs> Watt, who both went on to win the Super Bowls and then went fill in the blank record. Say what you want about Ray Farmer. That's my guy. But he he was smartly like, I'm not going to be the guy known in Cleveland for trading away Joe Thomas. That shit's yes. not going on. my. That's one thing you won't be able to say about me. You it won't find brilliant. that on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> exactly. So I think for, you know, the Aaron Rodgers situation, it's so tough because you've drafted this first round quarterback. What does Aaron Rodgers do? He comes out and has an MVP like season and you kind of let him down in the end for the same reasons where it's always kind of held him back. I mean, if I'm the Packers, I don't know how you could justify sending that guy anywhere. Like, that's that that has so many implications as a franchise for not just, you know, the franchise in general, but the people who are running the show. Like, who wants that on their Wikipedia page? How do you especially, justify it? Yeah, especially because they've been watching Jordan Love in practice, and uh, I don't care how great Jordan Love has looked. There's no way that there's not going to be a drop-off from the dude that just was the MVP of the NFL <laughs> to Jordan Love. So the Packers are too smart. I think really what Aaron Rodgers was trying to do with the end-of-the-year press conference was to make sure that the Packers realized that they're the ones that f***ed up. Like, they're the ones that cheated, and now he's just reminding them they got a lot of sucking up to do. There, there needs to be a yeah. lot of purses and shoes and trips that need to be bought here this offseason. Yep to kind of make up for what they did to him last offseason because they were in a happy marriage. They weren't thinking about anybody else. Aaron just assumed he was or just so the Aaron guy. Thought. So Aaron thought, and all of a sudden, bam, right in the back door, sleeping with the neighbor, Jordan Love, first round, <laughs> right when you could have got a receiver or somebody to help Aaron Rodgers go win his second <laughs> Super Bowl. And he wanted to make sure that everybody know, like, I am an elephant. I'm no goldfish. I did not forget what you did to me last offseason, so I'm going to need some more money. I'm going to need some more guarantees so that I can sleep well at night and I don't feel like i got to lock the doors when I leave thinking that the neighbor's coming in the back door. Yep. And on top of that, I want some input into the personnel decisions that are going to happen this offseason. So I think Rodgers stays put, and that was just and his a number way of two receiver, asserting. Yeah, no, I agree. Aaron Rodgers stays put. What do we got next? Quick Super Bowl preview. Who do you, who do you think wins the Super Bowl? Give us uh, give us your two minute overview there. What, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know how you beat Patrick Mahomes, man. I'm I'm gonna. I mean, as great as Tom Brady is, I'm a huge Tom Brady fan. I always have been ever since. You know, we took um, when we were blue at practice, we won like our scrimmage in the OTAs um, while I played for him, and I and I never forget that competitive spirit that he had that day. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm a huge Tom Brady fan. I just think Patrick Mahomes is otherworldly. I mean, when you watch him, even when he when he's playing against the Browns, you watch him in the playoffs, you watch him like late in games, he doesn't miss throws. He's just always in control. There's never a, like whatever play he has to make, he makes. And I just don't see how you beat that. If if the, if the defense doesn't completely drop the ball, I don't see how you can stop the guy. I mean, I've watched everybody throw everything at him. The, the one team that's had a little bit of success against him this year, the Raiders, and their strategy of just rushing for, keeping everybody back, keeping it in front of them, putting pressure, forcing them in the throws. Like, he also solved that riddle. The Bills followed that playbook to a T, and it didn't work because how do you stop a team that can throw a 70-yard bomb or throw it seven yards to Tyreek Hill, and that guy can either hit the long home run or an inside-the-park home run? You can't, right? The dude is... He's just different. So I, I just don't see 
how the Buccaneers stay up with them in the Super Bowl. So I got them winning. Yeah. So I wrote another article, ghost written, of course, uh, on NFL.com last week. And it was all about who's more important to the Chiefs' success. Is it Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey? And I actually said Travis Kelsey. Um, mm-hmm. While I think Tyreek Hill is really important, they've got other burners on that field to take the top off the defense to win in man coverage. But the key is that Travis Kelsey is so fast down the field and he's so good at finding those seams in the zone down the field that teams that try to play that soft zone, keep everything in front, two deep safeties with Patrick Mahomes' arm strength to be able to get into those small windows in those zone coverages way down the field to Travis Kelsey. That's really what makes uh, the, the Kansas City Chiefs so dangerous. That's the stick that stirs the Kansas City Chiefs offense. So having that guy is really what makes them so da- uh, so impossible to beat. But I think if I'm Tampa Bay, I said the only way that they're going to win this game is if they're able to play the same type of good coverage that they did in the NFC Championship game because they were playing really great coverage on the outside, really sticky coverage, uh, a lot of man coverage. And what they were also able to do is pressure the quarterback from the edges. Shaq Barrett, JPP, had huge games against the Green Bay Packers offensive line. If they're able to get that pressure with that coverage and couple that with no turnovers on the offense, that is the recipe for success for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think they can do it, though, and I think the Kansas City Chiefs win primarily because this guy, remember this name, Chris Jones. He's a guy that a lot of people that are nerds in the NFL, they know who he is because he's the second best defensive tackle pass rusher in the NFL behind your boy Aaron Aaron Donald. Uh-huh. But Tom Brady has always struggled with that pass rush up the middle because he sits shallow in the pocket. He's not a guy that drops deep, and he's just not all that mobile. They don't get him outside the pocket a lot. And so fast pressure up the middle in his face primarily has given him a lot of problems throughout his career going back to the Giants when he lost the second time in the Super Bowl, and they just beat him up from the inside out. So I I see this game being a little bit like the NFC Championship game where a lot of pressure on Brady from Chris Jones, where Brady throws a lot of those parade float lollipops up in the air because he's getting hit from the inside and he's trying to push the ball down the field, which is one of the bad habits that Brady has is when he's getting pressured, he's trying to go deep in the Bruce Arians, no risk it, no biscuit offense. And it's caused a lot of those bad passes. And we saw that against green Bay, he almost let him back in the game by throwing bad interceptions where the ball just floats up in the air and had the Packers made another interception on one that hit one of their DBs in the hands, the game might've been different, but, uh, but I'm with you. I think the chiefs win this one, um, but I'm excited. I think it's a great matchup. And my only disappointment about the Super Bowl matchup is I don't hate either one of these teams. Like I really <laughs> like having a team in the Super Bowl more than having a team that I like, obviously the Browns would be the biggest, but outside of having my team in the Super Bowl, I would much rather have a team that I hate that I want to cheer against New York Yankees, New England Patriots, like something like that versus a team that I like. Like, I like the Chiefs. I really like Andy Reid. I like Bruce Arians. And I like Tom Brady now that he's not wearing a Patriots helmet. And so it's really hard for me to sit there and be really excited about this matchup other than hoping that there's just all sorts of fireworks and some really good back and forth moments. Yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. You can just enjoy it. To your your strategy of the Buccaneers, you, you essentially said they have to be perfect. Okay, that's a great strategy. I would hire you as my head coach yeah. any day of the week. Jim no Thomas. problem. We'll win the Super Bowl as long as we're perfect <laughs> everywhere and we rush the quarterback and get six sacks. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. No problem. Um, Nat, who wins the Super Bowl? I mean, I'm obviously going with the Chiefs. <laughs> obviously. obviously. There's just no no debate there. It's Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. He's like way up there. So You were down with Patrick Mahomes before he was Patrick Mahomes. So exactly. I'm loyal. You were- you are loyal. You I, only when I'll it comes to the Browns, I'd choose the Browns. <laughs> there you go. I like that. All right. Well, I think we've covered 
everything and plus some stuff that we didn't plan on covering. And, you know, I, I apologize for everyone who's sensitive to hearing about me getting a street vasectomy. But that does it for today's episode of the Tomahawk Show. Listen, make sure you hit us up on social media, Twitter, Instagram, at Tomahawk Show. Nobody runs those pages, but you should still follow it because you never know. One day, Joe Thomas might learn how to use Instagram. All right. So anything else? Final thoughts, Joe? Final thoughts are uh, it'll be an interesting week next week. Hopefully we get to start talking about the Super Bowl a little bit and get to kind of change our focus from the Houston Texans and the shit show that's going on there and start talking about little Chiefs Bucks because like we just talked about, I want to get excited about this matchup and I don't have enough vitriol in my system right now to hate either one of these teams. So give me a reason to get excited, NFL. Give me some news from the Super Bowl. Give him some Super Bowl news. He wants it. He needs it. Nat, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself. <laughs>